Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Thanks, Andrew. Worship team, thank you for that. Um, let me begin this morning with uh, a little disclaimer here. Um, I, my goal this morning in coming and sharing what I'm going to share is not to step on your toes, specifically you. I'm not out to get you or to make you feel good or make you feel bad. My goal is to bring you some truth. Um, truth from God's word and some things that I, I feel that the spirit of God has been speaking to me about. You may differ and you have that right and some things. Some things you don't have that right. It's the word of God. That's my job, right? That's my responsibility is to preach and teach the word. To help equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. And so this morning I want to do that. So if I say something that may be offensive to you, um, and it's of personal opinion, I apologize. Um, I'm here to just share um, if it's something that offends you from the word of God, I don't apologize. It's God that speaks that. Now, where is that line? That's what we're going to talk about, and that's what we're going to work through a little bit, okay? And uh, how about we pray and ask the Lord to guide us and direct us and to help us as we navigate this. Lord, we need your spirit to guide us and to show us truth. Lord, we know your word is truth, and so help us to understand it, Help us to, to fully comprehend and as we walk through life to be able to, to think biblically and to live godly. Um, how shall we live? We should live the way you want us to live. And that happens and it stems out of a deep relationship with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, I pray that you would navigate these waters for us and help me, Lord, to be able to communicate as you would be honored and glorified. Lord, speak through me as your vessel. Lord, what is unimportant and what doesn't may not come from you, Lord, may it be like the shaft of the wheat and just blow away in the wind. I pray that the grain, the substance of your truth and your word would take root in our heart that it may produce something beautiful and something great. Help us, Lord, help us to lay down our walls so that we may hear from you today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. I remember my first class in college. <clears throat> it was eight o'clock class when I went to BBC. Eight o'clock class, which was a mistake, first of all, um, making a class that early um, with running in college, uh, I had to be up and we had to be at practice by 5.30. So I was already up. I had kind of gone through my first wave of, uh, of energy. And by the time you ran and got breakfast and then you got back and you showered, um, it, it was rough. It was rough to sit in that eight o'clock class of Western civilization with Dr. Rembert Carter. 
He was 90-some years old. I'm telling you, that man loved the Lord, though. And he was awesome. And he, he told us uh, about um, this book that had been written. And part of our required reading um, was a, a book um, called How Should We Then Live? And it's by Francis Schaeffer. If you've never heard of Francis Schaeffer, let me tell you that you probably should look him up and you should probably read some of what he has written um, in the 70s. He wrote this book in 1976. It came on the heels of uh, the decision of Roe versus Wade in 1973. And uh, with that, he, um, um, he was trying to help um, evangelical Christians to, to see and to look at how do we navigate life in our culture. That's what we're looking at today. That's really, when it comes down to it, men and women and children, teens, that's today. How should we then live? We each have our own opinions. We each have our own thoughts. I am not here to tell you that those are right or those are wrong. You have your thoughts, you have your opinions, and you may be dogmatic or you may be flexible and moldable. I'm here to help us to see how do we navigate living in the world? What does God's word say? While these are uncharted territories for us today, Solomon tells us that there is nothing new under the sun. There's been plagues before. There's been sickness. There's been government overreach. There's been persecution in the church. So first and foremost, may we see this as this is not something new. It is new for us. It is new for us as we navigate this time. But let's be real as we look at history and again, let's not void out the word of God when Solomon says there is nothing new under the sun. Here's some, here's some bullet points. The first, and again, I do not mean this condemning. I, I don't. Here is the first. We are living in fear. And we've got to stop it. Stop living in fear. And 2 Timothy 1.17 says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if God has not given us a spirit of fear, where does that fear come from? If it doesn't come from God, where does it come from? And I'm not talking about fearing God. We should fear God. There should be a holy, righteous all of who God is, the creator God, the one who is sovereign and control of all things. We need to fear him because he is in charge of it all. And he is holy and perfect and you and I are not. The fear of what I'm talking about doesn't come from God. It's a fear of the virus. It's a fear of death. It's a fear of pain. It's a fear of suffering. And let me tell you, I don't want to suffer. I don't know if anybody, if I had you raise your hand, you would say, yes, I'll sign up for suffering today. 
I'll sign up for a donut. I'll sign up for air conditioning. I'll sign up for a nice comfy chair, but I'm not going to sign up for suffering. And so what we do is in our in, in, in our convenience and in our Western mindset, we have allowed affluency and convenience and comfort to start to rule our mindset. And when that is started to take away from us, we begin to fear. We fear the virus. We fear death. But we fear people taking our rights, someone overstepping those rights. Now, again, I understand where some of you are. You need to understand my background. I'm not some left wing or right wing. I'm trying to come in the middle. My dad served in the Marines. I grew up a Marine boy. If you lived with a Marine, you know what I'm talking about. It's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. My father-in-law served over 20 years in the Marines. It's part of our blood. It's part of our family. My grandfather served in the military. I am extremely grateful and extremely thankful that we live in a country, the United States of America, where men and women have fought for the freedoms that we enjoy. Do not hear me wrong. The freedoms that we enjoy today have been fought for, and they should be fought for. That being said, we cannot let the fear of those freedoms make us have an attitude and a heart that starts to behave and act because we're fearful we'll, leave, we'll lose them. The United States of America may not be in God's plan at the end of his kingdom here. Do you know that? Do you realize that? That God may do away with the United States of America before Jesus returns? Would it be a shame? Yes. Are we there yet? No. Because I see a group of people who have gathered here and there's a group of people online who are still devoted and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as long as we have that, there, there is an opportunity for the gospel message to be shared and told, and for people to repent and turn to Jesus. We're fear of morality. We're fearful that, oh, we're turning away from the moral aspects of our country. Listen, I've talked with some of you. Some of you have lived 90, 90 some years old, and the country that you grew up is totally different than the country it is now. I understand the hardship of that. I can hear the frustration. But we can't fear the, the morality of our country. We need to fear the fact that people won't hear Jesus. They won't listen to the word of God. I don't want moral people. I want people who see their need for Jesus and in response they live a life that is moral is virtuous. We want a moral society and we get to encourage that and challenge our government and our leaders to live in that way. But moral goodness will not save anyone. It will not allow their soul to spend eternity in heaven 
moral goodness is not what it's all about. We fear provisions. We fear if God will really truly provide. Well, Matthew 6.26 says that he provides for the birds of the air. So why should we worry? Are we not more special to him than them? See, you were created in the image of God, every man, woman, and child. You are special to God. He will provide for you. He has a plan for you. The rub, the problem is, you don't want to suffer. You want it easy. You want it your way. And we fear, we, some of these fears begin to creep in when we see an erosion of some of these things that we've enjoyed. Romans 12 says that we rejoice in hope. That's our response. Instead of fear, we rejoice in hope. See, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. We walk around as people who have no power. We walk around with people who exhibit very little love. And we walk around as people who do not exhibit self-control. I'm not here to throw spears at you. I'm here to challenge you. Here's another bullet point. How much do you value life? I talked about how we are all made in the creator's image. It is amazing to me that we can argue and we can fight about some of the things that we've been fighting about, but there continues to be babies who are killed by the thousands. It's not okay. Where have our priorities gone? In 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. We need to value life. We need to look at eternity. In so doing, um, we see that all mankind is made in the creator's image. And we also need to realize as we value life and as we look at eternity, um, there is... um, a focus that we need to keep. It is not about masks or no masks. I'm tired of hearing Christians claim and say to people, if you really care about somebody, you'll wear a mask. That is the most judgmental statement that I've heard. And it sickens me. It sickens me when other people who on their right and their own ability, won't wear a mask to help their brother or their sister feel a little bit more comfortable. To set your own desires to the side so that you may minister to somebody else. The conversation focus should be about love. It should be about Jesus. It should be about listening, about the concerns and the heart of the people who are struggling it should 
we, another aspect of this, of the value of life, and as we walk through this, it's also something called individual soul liberty. Individual soul liberty is a biblical, it's called a biblical Baptist distinctive, okay? We are a Baptist church, and part of that is, uh, as Baptists, we believe the I in Baptist stands for individual soul liberty, And what that means is that God, we believe that God works in each individual and in in the spirit of God working in each one of you, um, the convictions and the leading and the prompting of God may, may look a little bit different individually than it is for all. Now, there are some truths that are very right and very wrong. There are some that it's based upon your conviction. For example, we see in the New Testament, as the early church was beginning, that there were some who struggled with eating meat that were served to idols. There were some believers that could not eat that meat because it caused them, in their mind, they felt like they were sinning if they were to partake of that meat because it was offered to idols. There were other believers just like the other believers who really loved God, who could look at that meat and they could eat it because they saw that there are no idols. There's no false gods. There is only one true living God. And so they could eat of the meat and not struggle at all. Who was right? Who was wrong? The issues we're facing are not new. Do you see? While on the surface, they may seem different, they're not new. And so as we think about individual soul liberty, we see that in 2 Corinthians 5.10 and Galatians 5.1. We need to be careful that you don't push your conviction upon somebody else. You claim the truths of God's word, and if it's something that is critically unbiblical, and if you win your brother over, that's a great thing. Make sure, make sure it is is an essential doctrine, truth of the scriptures. I think we need to be sensitive, make sure that we don't put before our brothers and sisters stumbling blocks. But don't you dare use mass as a stumbling block and say to your brother or your sister, well, because you don't wear that, you cause me to sin. No, that's not how it works. Stumbling blocks don't work that way. Stumbling blocks aren't a force for you to make somebody do something. It happens in a conversation as you see and realize that this is a true conviction of someone and it really is heavy on their heart and so you are sensitive to where they're at. There there are a lot of different issues of what that looks like. Right now we're talking about masks. The church has talked about smoking in the years past. The church has talked about drinking. The church has talked about going to see movies. As crazy as that is now to think about, that was such a divisive point back in the day where if you went to movies, you were ungodly. Wait, wait a minute. Do you see what we're facing? Is there anything new under the sun? 
James 4.17 tells us that if we know what is right and we fail to do it, it is sin. I believe that God, if you listen and walk with God, and that's what it's all about, and that your personal walk with Jesus is he guides and directs you and he puts those convictions in your heart, you be obedient. You be obedient to that. And you don't always have to explain yourself. Don't be defensive. You be obedient to the God to the God who you love and who you serve. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 through 11. I'm sure you're there by now. It says, the end of all things is at hand. And we say, maybe you don't say anything. (laughs) To me, here's Paul writing at the end of his life. This was how many thousands of years ago? All right close to 2,000 years ago that he wrote this, Peter's writing, and he says, the end of all things is at hand, and we shout and rejoice and say, yay, Jesus is coming. If you don't, let me encourage you to view, to look at your viewpoint of life, of eternity. Peter is saying here a long time ago, but we're still walking through it today. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We need to look to the view of eternity. The end of all things is at hand. And because of that, we have to be diligent. Diligent in displaying what Peter has said here. Be self-controlled, sober-minded. Let's talk about the next bullet point I have, and that's trials. Talked a little bit about this already, but trials. You know what the Bible says about trials? James chapter 1, counted all I know you have masks on, but you guys can talk, okay? Joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, endurance, ultimate leading to perfection, so that God may have his perfect work in us. Why are we surprised when trials come? Why do we walk around surprised that the world is acting and conducting itself in the way that it is? Why are we insistent that non-Christ followers act as Christ followers? It's not, nor should it happen. Their heart hasn't been changed Our heart has. 
Our heart has been redeemed. It's been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we get to trust God. We get to rejoice knowing that God is sovereign and in control and he is in charge of all things. And so as we walk through the trials and the hardships of our life, we can count it all joy because he is in control, because he is in charge, because he is worthy of our trust and our dedication. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials. Let me tell you, it is not going to get better. It will get worse, but we can rejoice. Don't seek comfort, affluence. Don't seek a better life. Don't seek the things that you want to do. Let me encourage you to do one thing. Seek Jesus. If you seek Jesus, he tells us that he can be found. If we desire to walk with Jesus, he says that he will walk with us. Not on our terms. We don't lay out the path. He does. But we need to walk with him. We need to talk with him and listen to him. And, and the great part is we get to share our frustrations. We get to share our concerns. That's the great part about God's word. And we see that in the Psalms. The psalmist crying out to God, the injustice, the, un, the unspeakable things that are happening. And God hears us. We go to him. We don't go to Facebook. We go to him, not to email. We go to Jesus, not through text. And that isn't to say that God hasn't given us relationship to be able to walk through life. But we claim and hold tight Jesus. Unfortunately, we seek a lot of other things. And Jesus, when all else fails, then we run to Jesus usually. My next bullet point. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. It's great to hear you turn in your pages of your Bible. I can't hear you talk, but I can hear the pages of the Bible. I love it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. Context here. Peter, early church, about to be ready to be severely persecuted under Nero. First Peter chapter two, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. 
Fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now flip with me to Romans chapter 13. Context. Paul writing to the early church, the believers who are in Rome, Rome is not um, a Christ community, a Christ-focused community. It's very worldly, very ungodly. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. People say, well, you can make that passage say whatever you want it to say. Folks, we can't make the Bible say whatever we want it to say. Why are there churches that are voting on whether or not homosexuality is allowed. Folks, when we start disintegrating the text, the word of God, it leads us down a very, very bad road. 
The word of God is truth, and we must understand it and obey it. We may not like it, but we must obey it. When we begin to start eroding and making scripture say whatever we want it to say, justifying our rights and whatever our privileges are, we begin to start down a slippery road where Satan enters into the fold and he starts manipulating and turning away the people of God from truth. I'm concerned about that. It is a fear of mine. We see it in, as Paul and Peter write about be careful of the sheep, uh, the wolves that are in sheep's clothing. Be careful of those who speak as those who tickle your ears to tell you just what you want to hear. The decision to wear masks today is not one I wanted to make. The decision isn't for me to make. It's made for me. It doesn't go against, in my belief, it does not go against any scriptural mandates of how we live our lives. Is it unconstitutional? We can have that discussion. I will be more than glad to have that discussion with you. But that is not the discussion we're having. The Constitution of the United States is not the textbook of how we live our lives. It's the Word of God. And so if the Word of God tells me that I need to submit to my authorities, if it is not unbiblical, I may not agree with it, I may not like it, but I need to do it. That's why we made the decision we did. Do I like it? Talk to me later. Some of you don't like the fact that I just said that. That's part of our issue. That's part of our struggle. That's part of the hardship right now. Is you're either here or you're here. Guys, the beauty of the body of Christ is that we are each unique and different. That God gives us each different thinking, different ways of, of, of showing and expressing our love to the Lord, and different ways of living life. And part of the beauty of that is that is different. And we can embrace that or we can fight against that. And it is my challenge to you and it's my encouragement to you as the body of Christ at West Hill, whether you're listening online or whether you've gathered here, we must not allow a piece of cloth to divide us as the body of Christ. There are standards that we Biblical standards that we will not give into. If the, if the government comes and says, you cannot sing, and I know we've heard that. There's a state that has said that. And if they come and they tell us that, that is against scripture. Scripture tells me to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Corinthians gives us kind of an outline of what the worship service looks like and what that entails of singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. That will be a point where we say this is against scripture. Now please understand a piece of cloth. I don't see that. You may, and that's okay. My point is this, 
we have a problem when people tell us something to do. None of us like anybody else telling us what to do. I had a problem with that when I was a child. I didn't like my daddy telling me what to do. I still don't like my daddy telling me what to do. But I honor him and I respect my dad and I listen to him. A humble heart allows God to work. A humble heart allows the spirit of God to reveal things to us that maybe we would miss. I think I'll close with this. I encourage you as you walk through these days to leave room for God to work. You say, well, what does that look like? What do you mean leave room for God to work? First, you need to pray before you post anything. Social media, text, email. You need to pray. You can write it all up. You can have it ready. Before you click anything and do anything, you need to pray and say, Lord, is this what you want? David is the king. His son Absalom comes and behind his back seeks to have the throne. In doing so, David leaves Jerusalem. Absalom comes and will chase after his father. As David is out in the wilderness, we see an encounter in 2 Samuel 16. You can read this on your own. 2 Samuel 16, verses 5 through 14. David and Shemi. David has an encounter with Shemi. Shemi is a relative of Saul. We know the, the struggle, the power struggle of Saul and David. Shemi begins to curse David. to condemn him, to speak and belittle him in front of these people. One of David's men says, let me, let me, David, let me go kill him. Let me shut him up. He has no right to speak that way. David's response is this, God, God told him to do that. So who are we to shut him up? And so the text says, as they went along, it's kind of like they were walking on this road and Shami is up on I, this is the way I envision it. He's walking on the trail above them, like kicking pebbles and stones and just belittling David all along the path. And it says that they were weary. David and his men, as they enter the next town, they become very, they are very weary. But in that town, God strengthens them. I say that because... I think that sometimes we feel like we know exactly what is right. I, I can't tell you I know exactly what's right. I'm not a professional, and even if I were a professional, I'm not about to stand here and tell you what exactly, 100%, as we navigate through these times, what is right and what is wrong. And neither should you. You should allow room for God to work. Because how, 
how do you know for certain that maybe God is desiring that? We are to be active and not passive, but in all things we are to be love. In our passion, in our calling, and in our obedience, we are to show love. My challenge to you as we look at these passages, and there's a lot more I wish I could get to, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 2, you want to read a good passage that I believe humbles us in the midst of all of this before you post anything, before you want to chime off on someone in one direction or another, read Philippians chapter 2. Knowing right is only half the equation. And here's my challenge. That we are to think biblically and we are to act godly. You can't think biblically unless you know the word. You can't act godly unless you think correctly. So in order to think correctly, to think biblically, you must be in it and you must be in a relationship with Jesus. Think biblically, act godly. How would Jesus respond? How would Jesus act? These are difficult times. There may be a time in a day and age where we are called to rise up as the church and to stand for some religious freedoms. We have enjoyed some many great years and I'm thankful for that. But I also acknowledge and understand that with trials and with hardship and with persecution, you see it in the word and we see it today. We hear the stories when there's persecution against those who follow Jesus, the gospel spreads. It multiplies. So don't lessen who God is. Don't lessen his power. Don't lessen his ability to work in people's lives and to change them. Don't lessen his ability to do things in a way that we haven't seen before. He had the nation of Israel march around a wall, hitting and beating drums and then screaming. And the walls came down. Is that the way you would have drawn up the battle line? No. My point is, we have to allow room for God to work. We've got to walk with him. We've got to trust him. We've got to see that these aren't just stories. They're real people with a real God who loves us and who will be with us and wants to guide us and show us. Think biblically. Act godly. Lord, we thank you for the precious gift of Jesus. We've talked a lot about him this morning. We owe him our lives because he's given us his life. He lived and he died. He was buried and three days later he rose again, conquering sin and death and extending to us an eternal relationship. 
And Lord, my prayer, if there's someone who is here listening today who have, who's not yet claimed Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they would do that. That they would confess that they're a sinner, that we all fall short of your perfection. Our lives miss the mark. And in so doing, we deserve an eternal punishment, death, separation from you forever. But you loved us, and you demonstrated that love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us, so that the wage that we deserved of death has been paid for, and we've been extended the free gift of eternal life. There's nothing we can do to earn it. The Lord Jesus has paid for it fully. Thank you. Thank you for loving us and thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that today is not the end and unless Jesus returns this very day, help us, Lord, to live out your truths. Help us to have wisdom in navigating how we love our brothers and sisters how we talk and share our own thoughts and opinions and in the same time, Lord, to listen intently and to truly care about one another. Help us to cherish and to love those who may differ from us. To see them as human beings other people who are created in your very image. Lord, our country and our world needs Jesus. You've placed us here as lights in the darkness. And if we get confused, if we become distracted, if we allow certain things to take us off course, we will lose the opportunity that is at hand. The opportunity to be a light. An opportunity for you to use us to show yourself to be worthy of worship, to be worthy to be trusted. In all of our insecurities, in all of our frailties, in all of our shortcomings, we lay them at your feet, thanking you that that is not who defines us, it's not what defines us, but that Jesus and your word and your truth and your spirit that lives inside of us can be the power and the love and it can give us self-control. Continue to work in our hearts, Lord, causing us to trust you more and to depend upon ourselves less. And we pray in this Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen.